Hey there, friend of the pod, it's Diego. Hey, this episode of the IDEO Futures podcast is brought to you by IDEOU.com, an online school that helps leaders tackle their toughest challenges creatively. You should check out their new Hello Design Thinking class, where you can learn the fundamentals of design thinking in just 90 minutes from none other than David Kelly, who's the founder of IDEO and the Stanford D School. Now, David taught me the basics of design thinking over 25 years ago, so I can absolutely positively say that when he's your teacher, you're not only learning from the best, you're getting knowledge from the source. You can sign up at any time. Just go to IDEOU.com slash futures to register. That's IDEOU.com slash futures. Live from Pier 28 on the San Francisco Embarcadero, it's the IDEO Futures Podcast. Hey, welcome to the IDEO Futures Podcast. This is Diego Rodriguez. It's great to have you here for Pod 48. And we happen to be recording this on another Prime Day. It's 7-13-17. It's too bad this is number 48. We should have done that on number 47. Uh, aside from that, I'm really happy to welcome, I wouldn't call him a guest. I would call him Joe Gerber. Hey, what's up? I see nothing's changed. We're still talking about prime numbers. Well, that was just for you. That Thank was to you. get you back in the flow of things. You last heard Joe on pod number 40. And for better or for worse, he was there for pods 1 through 39 as well. <laughs> and uh, so how's life, Joe? Life is good. Can't complain. What have you been designing lately? The future. The future. Uh, I have been deep, deep, deep into the CoLab cave. We've we've grown quite a bit from a team perspective, from a membership perspective, from a research agenda perspective. So it's it's been making my hair turn gray and fall out. And what is what is the CoLab for for people who might not be familiar with the parlance of IDEO? I have no clue. Mm. Um, no, it's, uh, it's IDEO's R&D lab, research and design. And so it's, it's a collaborative community and network that is asking shared questions about the future of technologies and how they might be applied to change industries and businesses. And how do you go about asking those questions? We prototype. There you go. We, do, we prototype in three-day increments and six-week increments. So lots and lots of prototypes. So we've built... We will build a hundred prototypes this year easily, uh, and we've built about sixty something so far. Whoa! Yeah, everything from AI that helps facilitate uh, transactive energy grids to alternative credit scoring to, and we'll probably talk about this, uh, a token fund of funds. So we had a team that actually built, uh, tried to raise a ten dollar token fund as a as an experiment. Well, I'm glad you brought up tokens because I was hoping you would because I want to talk about tokens because I don't really understand them. And for those of you who haven't been listening to the IDEO Futures podcast for the past several years, first, shame on you. Second, this is your chance to redeem yourself. You can go back and uh, I was joking about number one, but number two, do go back and check out some of the interviews that Joe did uh, around blockchain with Adam Ludwin and a bunch of others. What were some of the other ones we did where we went really deep on blockchain before blockchain was cool? We phoned a friend. We talked to Dan Elitzer, who's that was our, a great one. our resident expert. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I think we did a segment with Reed Williams about explaining blockchain to his grandmother mm-hmm. at one point, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny, mm-hmm. uh, which is impossible to do to this day. Uh, and we we interviewed Andreas Antonopoulos, who wrote the literally wrote the book Mastering Bitcoin and is now writing s- some new books about blockchain. So if you want to get up to speed, I still consider those some of the best reference materials about blockchain and Bitcoin. But uh, the world has been moving pretty fast in that space since we last spoke about it. So can you talk about tokens and uh, we can start talking about ICOs too and explain what those are? And by the way, we're just before people right sh- into the nerdy yeah, shit. Well, I don't want people to shut off the podcast. We <laughs> are going to do, we're going to blow your minds. We're going to do a special edition of VDT BOM, which stands for Venture Design That Blows Our Minds. And hopefully your minds too. But before that, and actually, I think it's a segue into some of the material that I've prepared okay. for VDTBOM. The ground rules as, of VDP... As usual, I have not prepared, so... Well, the ground rules... You shouldn't tell me that. The ground rules of it are that Joe and I bring stories to the table, as it were. We actually do have a table about venture design that blows our minds. People doing clever things with new ventures in clever ways, innovative ways. And we see if it blows the other person's mind. So... We don't know what the other person is going to talk about. And as Joe just told us, he doesn't know what he's going to talk about either. <laughs> so that's why I'm lobbing him this kind of like easy catch up. As is usually the case. Tell me about tokens and ICOs, man. Well, I think I have some VDTBOM around that. Well, let's Do go there. We're going to go there. All right. It's time for VDTBOM. I Piper, we'll- could we get a little theme music put in right there? Like a... I thought we wanted to do uh, Myers-Briggs. Oh, Oh, well, if you want to... Okay, well, let's, let's we talk about to. that. Okay, for those of you who heard Pod 47 with Michael Deering, we started it off with some witty banter around his Meyer Briggs profile, which was INTJ, oh. which is also mine. And I think it's a mighty fine Myers Briggs. Our, our, our friend Brad, who now lives in Montana, said it was his favorite pod of all time. That made me feel really good, by the way. Yeah, well, he's, he's got good taste. He has exquisite taste. I um, wanted to know what... Joe's Myers-Briggs was, and he told me, what is it, Joe? ENTP. So we looked that one up. He is the debater. How do you feel about that? Being the debater? Yeah. Fits like a glove. Hmm. Do you have any reservations about it, or do you feel like contesting the point? <laughs> no, you have to say an opinion, and I'll take the other side. <laughs> See, I think he might be a spy, because you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't take the bait. You didn't, you didn't go into my trap there, my little verbal trap. All right. So uh, as we talked about on Pod 47, there's this great little website who's not sponsoring us, you know, but we would take some sponsorship if they wanted. 16personalities.com, the debater. The ENTP personality type is the ultimate devil's advocate, Mm. thriving on the process of shredding arguments and beliefs and letting the ribbons drift in the wind for all to see. That sounds like pretty gnarly. Really, really gnarly. No one loves the process of mental sparring more than ENTPs, as it gives them a chance to exercise their effortlessly quick wit, broad accumulated knowledge base, and capacity for connecting disparate ideas to prove their points. Some notable debaters, Sarah Silverman. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's funny. She is really funny. Tom Hanks. Mm. Sasha Baron Cohen. Now we're talking. And uh, the Joker. From Batman? Yeah. How does how does a fictional character have a Myers Briggs score? Did you listen to Pod Forty Seven? We covered that question. Oh man! See, I got I, you. I got you. That was the I trap. Might, I might not have. That was the trap, to it. Mr. Super Spy. <laughs> and then finally, 
Tyrion Lannister. Of course. There you go. Uh, so uh, let's talk about some of your strengths. I won't get into your weaknesses because this is in the public domain. Knowledgeable. The public domain knows my weaknesses. Quick thinkers. Sometimes. Original. Rarely. Excellent brainstormers. Mm, I'm debating everything you're saying, by the way. <laughs> Charismatic. Definitely not. Energetic. Definitely not. Oh, I think I think that's mostly uh, directionally accurate. Sure. So tell me about tokens and ICOs. <laughs> Shall we? Should we debate them? I don't know. I can't do a debate with you because I'm not a debater. Mm -hmm. I'm the architect. So we've talked about Bitcoin in the past, and I'm sure most people have have probably caught caught wind of Bitcoin at some point in their reading or listening. And that's that was the first token. Why is it a token? How does a coin become a token, or what's the difference? A token, if you abstract it, a token is just like a store of value. And that value can be monetary, but it could also be other things. Okay. And I'm sure that there's some more formalized definition that is better than that. But. So a coin is a subset of a token. Yeah. Got it. And so what's happened is there's something called Ethereum, which followed Bitcoin. And, you know, we've talked a lot about blockchains. The blockchain is, is the ledger system that underlies Bitcoin. And there's blockchains, there's different blockchains, and Ethereum has its own blockchain. And it's designed, if Bitcoin was designed to be a cryptocurrency explicitly, trying to be the, like the world's first digital money, purely digital money, Ethereum is more about smart contracts and, and being kind of a programmable system. And so one of the things that happened was they made it really easy to issue tokens on top of Ethereum. And so what's happened over the last year, but really in the last six months is, a lot of companies are issuing their own tokens and creating a little bit of a speculative bubble around these tokens. But how do they issue them? What is that? What's that process? I mean, they're based on uh, smart contracts. So it's, it's an agreement to move value around under certain conditions. And so there's something called ERC-20, which is a standard that Ethereum created for tokens. And this is part of the VDT BOM element to this, which is by creating that standard, then you can have like wallets that can accept any of these sorts of tokens. And you can you create a whole ecosystem around storing, using, like any way that you create a, an ecosystem around the tokens. And then that allows for a variety of tokens to be created without having to like recreate all the, the other pieces of the ecosystem. So think about the early days of mobile apps pre-Android and, and iPhone where when you made something for the Samsung whatever phone or, or the Motorola phone or the, you know, whatever, each, each time you had to custom build for each specific platform, here they're saying, here's one platform for tokens and then you can create as many as you'd like. So that happened and there's been this explosion of, of token ICOs, which are initial uh, coin offerings, which are kind of like IPOs. This is the confusing part to me. So there, yeah. there actually should be technically called an ITO initial token offering yeah. but they're becoming is catcher to call it a coin offering. there's two ways people talk about it ico or token sale mm, i like token sale yeah yeah it's friendlier like lemonade stand sale lemonade sale yeah yeah so there's two things that two things that's happening one is there's a new interesting class of company and platform that's being created that's a mix of token and app decentralized app as those things as people get excited about the legitimate uses of tokens and decentralized apps, there's 
people that are just issuing a token for anything and raising and trying to raise money because the, the speculative bubble has gotten crazy where companies are l- literally raising $35 million in 30 seconds. Well, so let me ask you about that because that's one of the things I've been wondering about because I've, uh, from what I've understood, people promoting ICOs or token sales say that one of the benefits is it's more accessible to potential investors, right? Because you don't have to be a professional accredited investor to get in on it. You can just buy a token, right? Over the internet. For now. For now. But one of the downsides is that there's been a lot of mechanisms built in over the years to prevent an entrepreneur with walking away with $35 million once they get the investments from somebody. It doesn't seem to me like that's been built into the system yet. Like you and I could create a token sale and then just say, well, part of the contract was that we didn't have to do anything with the money. It didn't specify it. So we've got the money now. Could you do that? Yeah. I mean, people are, you kind of have to write a white paper and, and the quality of those white papers vary. And again, if you're a speculator and who, who may not understand the, the intricacies of smart contracts and crypt, cryptography and these sorts of things, you may not know that the that the tokens actually not doesn't make much sense or that there's not much kind of reason to invest. So I wonder if you and I picked the same uh, VDT-BOM example. Probably not. We might have. Maybe. But go for yours. There's a few interesting examples. One is is a company called Brave. So they're creating a new web browser and they issued something called the Basic Attention Token. And they actually, they're the company that raised $35 million in, in about 30 seconds which is, I mean, think about that for a second. That's insane. Imagine if they had gone for a whole minute. (laughs) Slackers. Slacker. And in their case, they're using the token to um, pay people for watching advertising. They're trying to like disrupt the advertising model for content. Yeah. So the reason that they're using the token is they want to, um, there's reasons that Bitcoin, it would be too expensive to, to use as your currency for paying for attention. Um, even if you could use Bitcoin, you'd have to start with a pool of, I'm making up a number, $100 million worth of Bitcoin, which who's going to start there? So you can just issue your token as, as a decentralized app and then allocate it out. There's a lot of interesting things there, but it's an ex- interesting example of like a thing has value if we believe it has value. Right. So in, in the case of Brave, one, I think they believe in the founder who has a he used to run Mozilla and has a, a good track record um, from a technical perspective. I think when they launched their white paper, you know, people read it and believe in, in the like the theory behind it. And then you check the rationale, like why should this be done with your own token versus a Bitcoin is kind of like one of the basic checks. And in this case, it makes sense. Hmm. So what do you think about it? I think it's interesting. I think I hate advertising. I don't want to get paid for watching advertising. I do want somebody to disrupt advertising. But I, I think all of these things are super early. So I, the thing that's interesting to me about any of them um, in the abstract is they represent a new way, a new type of business model that we haven't seen before. That's, an, that's like some mix of open source project token, which kind of is like equity, but it also, for if it's a legitimate token, it actually has util, actual utility in the application itself. Um, and that we've never seen that kind of weird mix before. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of exploration and the cool thing about the bubble, I guess, is there's a token for everything right now. And we're going to learn a lot over the next few years about like, where do tokens make sense? Where do they not? And 
it's kind of like, it feels like 99 where there's this explosion of ideas and most of them are going to fail, but some fundamental changes to, to the internet are happening. And, and so the tokens are definitely going to be part of that. I ran across this great column in Bloomberg View by Matt Levine. And um, I'll just read you a quick excerpt from it because it's right on the topic you were talking about. And he says, if you think that unicorns as a category are overvalued, the way to profit from that is not so much by shorting Uber, though that would have been a good idea, as it is by founding your own dumb startup, raising a lot of money from over-enthusiastic venture capitalists, paying yourself a big salary, and walking away whistling when the bubble collapses. So that's kind of referencing your 99 scenario, right? 1999 scenario. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, same here. He's talking about ICOs. If you are skeptical of the ICO trend, the right thing to do is not to short all the new tokens that are coming to market. It's to build your own token, do an initial coin offering, and walk off with the proceeds. And uh, and then I, I had a related example, kind of related, which was my VDTBOM, and it's called uh, it's an actual token. It's called the useless Ethereum token. You've heard of it, I guess, because you're laughing. Yes. So if you go to um, uetoken.com. Uh, uselessetherientoken.com, uetoken.com. Here's what they say. This is the marketing language on the site. It kind of blew my mind. They go, uh, let's be honest. Everyone's tired of ICOs, especially people listening to this podcast. They get hyped for weeks, and then they launch and clog up the Ethereum network for days. I hate it when that happens. This ICO is going to be different. The useless Ethereum token ICO transparently offers investors no value, so there will be no ex- expectation of gains. No gains means few investors, few investors means few transactions, and few transactions means no Ethereum network lag. And the funny thing was, even though this is a useless token, they raised 310 Ether, which translates to about $67,000. That's amazing. And there's something about parity being a great way to understand new technologies. It's kind of like, Maybe we should be turning to the onion as our source for what actually is going to work and how these things are going to play out. Not that the onion did this, but it kind of helps me understand how tokens actually work, that I can just say this is a token and you're going to pay whatever you're going to pay for it. So our friend our friend Dan Elitzer sent around a, a similar link of, of somebody who tongue-in-cheek was talking about creating a token and smart set of smart contracts around a pyramid scheme and is totally transparent that this is a pyramid scheme and actually wrote some smart contracts that are pyramid scheme smart contracts. Oh, wow. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. Is it, it, it demonstrates what these models are by making them simple and tongue-in-cheek. I like it. I like it a lot. Which got to an... So here's the VDT BOM of that part. Okay. So then we had me and Dan and some of the folks on the collab team, we had a, like a legitimate discussion of, well, actually, there's some utility to smart contracts creating a pyramid scheme and not, and like, so what would a good pyramid scheme look like? And we talked about how, if you were honest and explicit that you were trying to raise money for a charity and you could use the same mechanisms of the pyramid scheme to start to raise money for the charity. And so if I get more people to join in, then my charity gets more money. And if you get, if you get more people to join in, then more money goes to your charity. And it lets money flow like naturally that. through the pyramid. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't call that a pyramid scheme. I would just call that almost like a raffle or a contest. Yeah. Distributed that way. 
So how does this uh, relate to the DAO? We talked about the DAO on an earlier podcast, the distributed autonomous organization. Does it relate at all? Yeah, it, it does. That's that's a, an example of a distributed organization. And you were buying in to have votes for different proposals of investment. And so the, you know, the token in that case w- would be used for putting literally your, your money behind whatever you, you wanted the, the greater community to invest in. Right. That, of course, like was, was hacked. There was a flaw in the smart contracts and, and you know, that yeah. showed it didn't, it didn't show a security flaw in the foundational platform or protocol that, of Ethereum, but it, it showed flaws in the way they constructed that smart contract or set of smart contracts. That may have been a good step along the way to getting to ICOs. Yeah. Okay. Hey, well, I'm going to shift gears a bit. And I love talking about massive failures because you can learn so much, especially when they're not your own. Mm-hmm. Other, other people's are more interesting. This has been in the news this week, but an entrepreneur, uh, Zhao Shuping, launched something called E-Umbrella. Actually, he launched a business called Sharing E-Umbrella in across 11 Chinese cities all at once. Did you hear about this? Mm-mm. Oh, good. So it's actually surprising to you. So basically... For a deposit of about $2.80, you could check out an umbrella using an app on your smartphone, okay? So just picture you emerge out of the subway, it's raining, and there's a whole rack of umbrellas there, and you go up and, psh, that's the sound of me touching my, my mobile phone, and you then pay 75 cents for every 30 minutes of use of the umbrella. So it's, it's an interesting system, I guess, you know? Like, it's kind of like bike sharing, Mm-hmm. Right? And it makes sense. Who wants to carry an umbrella around all day? There's umbrellas here. When I don't need it, I put it back. I'm yep. still in the system. Well, after a few weeks of being in market, he had to announce that nearly all of the 300,000 umbrellas had been stolen. <laughs> Interesting, right? And, and he explained it as um, confusion about how the system works because one of the big uh, trends in China has been dockless bike sharing where there aren't dedicated docks that you put the bikes into like you see in a lot of western cities which is bikes everywhere where you go get the bike and it's which is a really interesting kind of anti-fragile decentralized way to do sharing 300,000 umbrellas gone to me you know if he had been listening to this podcast he might have said he started with 30 yeah i could run an experiment at lunch and see you know oh my gosh nobody returns the umbrellas or i lose half of them or People take all the red ones, but not the ones that, you know, say Ideo Futures podcast on them or something like that, because <laughs> those are worthless. So it's a it's it's kind of funny that you could get yourself in a position where you could lose three hundred thousand of anything. Yeah, that's well, that's when you try to operate at China scale from the get go. We I, would put that in the category. Of I think you should have idea. put a speaker in the handle of the umbrella that, if not docked past its its you know rental time just said shame shame <laughs> shame shame thief umbrella thief <laughs> yeah all right well that was that was my little lighthearted vdtb one but i have another one i've got some all right lay it on me brother i didn't prepare quotes and stuff but don't there's... say that <laughs> no one will know so we're working with two really interesting startups mm. well we're, we're working with more than two but Two but th- only two of them are interesting. <laughs> we just won't tell you which two. Do they, um, do they listen to the podcast or what? I have no, no, we'll find I have, out. I have no clue. 
So another decentralized app that we're that we're working with is called Augur. Uh huh. And they're a they're building a decentralized prediction market. A U G E R. Yeah. Augur. Yeah. Did you say U R? E R. Your. A A U G U R. Oh, U R. Did yeah. I say I said E R? Mm. Sorry. So, prediction markets were really hot about ten years ago. Yep. Uh, when you know people started writing about the wisdom of the crowds and showed evidence that a crowd, a diverse crowd, is more effective at predicting outcomes than experts even, and so you know to this day they're still used for prediction of, of elections and stock prices and and sports outcomes and things like that. But they're also used uh, in corporations. So Google famously uses prediction markets to to predict whether products will get launched on time and things like that. And so Augur is interesting to us because not just because they're building a decentralized prediction market, which allows anyone to participate in a market and also create their own market. That's, that's pretty cool. But because of the unique challenge of how do you know, like if you're, if anyone can create a market, then how do you determine the true outcome of the market? So you can say like the weather will be, above 70 degrees in San Francisco on this date, what, what's the source of truth in a decentralized system versus a centralized system where you trust you know, the weather channel or wherever? Um, and so it, they're, they're having to work through something called the Oracle problem, which is like, what, what is the source of truth? And their answer is they've created a token. Mm. And it's called a rep token. Rep token. R-E-P. And the idea is that you can spend and earn rep tokens to verify results. Whoa. Yeah. It's like woofy kind of. Yes. Whoa. Exactly. Whoa. It's a woofy token. See, it is becoming wow. a VDT BOL. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So it's the start. It, it is an, a, the start of an actual woofy, which is a reference to uh, Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom. Cory Doctorow. Yeah. Great sci fi book. And, and in that case, in the doctoral book, the reputation currency is much broader than this. But right. But it's a start. This is a start. Wow. And it's based on can you, can you verify the truth? Which, when you think about that, it has lots of, of implications. Uh-huh. That's, That's a great one. Yeah. Wow. So wow. we've been working with them for the last six weeks. They've been co-located with us in the CoLab in San Francisco. And uh, they're about to launch, launch their platform. Cool. Yeah. Well, that one blew my mind. Nice. So I've got one. It's funny how these are. Usually we bounce around more. If you take out the umbrella example, all of ours are actually on an interesting theme. And we did not talk to each other about this, right? Nope. We're just kind of interested in stuff. We've, we've established I did not prepare for this. Yeah. Well, here's one. This was just in the New York Times today. A great article by Noam Shiver. And it's called The Pop-Up Employer. Build a team. Do the job. Say goodbye. And uh, it's actually... You and I have spoken about these two professors at Stanford. It's Melissa Valentine and Michael Bernstein. Oh, yeah. And they have created a platform called Foundry, which basically automates the process of assembling and running a temporary organization to the point where people don't even have to call each other or talk to each other. You just get assigned your role in the organization and everybody starts collaborating. That's Pretty awesome. wild. It's a software platform. And basically their point of view is, and this is a quote from the article from uh, Professor Bernstein, in which he says that computation, we think, has an opportunity to dramatically shift several costs. He's referring to the cost of assembling teams and working in an organization. 
in a way that traditional organizations haven't realized. It's way easier to search for people, bargain, and contract with them. And they don't get into smart contracts in this, but I gotta believe there's a tie to all the themes we've just been talking about, whether it's tokens or distributed organizations, maybe this is a much better way to get one started. Um, but they've actually run experiments where they've used the software platform to bring together people and it's worked. So I actually got to talk to Melissa about a year or so ago about an earlier version of really of this. Yeah. What? You never told me. Um, and at the time it, she was focused on design teams, which was why it was especially oh, interesting yes. to us. I, now I remember that actually. Yeah. And so, you know, there were some interesting challenges about onboarding and, and what the, the thing that you have to do is break a process up and make, you know, like kind of piecemeal tasks, which is tough. To, I think it's, it was bold of them to, to dig into design first, because although it, there are certainly tasks, it's also less defined than something that's more kind of production oriented in terms right. of like engineering or, you know, whatever. Cause there's things like, you know, top coder where you can put bounties up for like writing pieces of code and the open source software space works that way too. Since then, it's been really interesting. So to your point, like how might smart contracts and tokens play into that? So taking that rep token, like you could imagine creating a rep token about not just telling the truth, but actually delivering quality, whatever the deliverables are, quality outputs. Well, they actually gather like something like 30 data points about everybody in the organization. Yeah. So you can imagine those just being written to a token. Yep. And when mm. when we did the first summer of Bits and Blocks, uh, one of the student teams was focused on how smart contracts might mediate between freelancers and um, right. and their right. clients. Right, right. So you could insert that technology in here. Yeah, so you could have standard contracts and standard process where you're just facilitating that. that but the other thing we also talked about on the pod many, many pods ago is Hyperloop. So remember, there's two. it was a VDTBOM. There's two types of, of Hyperloop. Com- there's two main Hyperloop companies Hyperloop One and Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. And I think HTT is the one that is a, de- a decentralized company where they basically, they have a semi-central group that's like um, putting all the pieces together, but then they allow individuals who um, work wherever they work right. um, to do specific tasks. So design the um, design the chairs, design the vacuum pumps, design, you know, whatever it is it's kind of starting to happen right and it's cool that they're creating a tool to facilitate it yeah it's super cool and one of the things well, I, I love the way the article was uh, structured because it ends on a real high note from my point of view because um, they go on to make the point that actually what they're finding is that people who work in this kind of an organization that was developed using this foundry software that they've created uh, report that it's very emotionally satisfying work hmm. which I could see why, but I wouldn't have bet my life that that would be the outcome. And um, Professor Valentine says, one thing that was really surprising and exciting about what we saw was how quickly flash organizations, which is what they call organizations created using their software, how quickly flash organizations develop solidarity and collective behavior. How cool is that? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was really, really inspiring. That's really cool, man. We're living through very interesting times. When it comes to organizations and how people come together to do things, I mean, it's it's one of the things that we're seeing in the collab, right? Where we've got student academic fellows, we've got members of our sponsors from different corporations coming, we've got our own team, we've got IDEO people, 
we've got startups and they all kind of mix and and kind of swarm around different problems it's pretty cool to see i think the walls between different organizations are starting to break down and you and if you take that to its logical conclusion like there's going to be real fluidity of talent across problem spaces yeah and the stuff that auger is working on becomes so critical because it's your your reputation your ability to do things to relate to people your woofy as we were talking about that really is your way of making your way through the world and creating value as you go and having that get reflected back into your your woofy score as it were yeah, and in a way everybody becomes in this you know extreme version of this like everybody becomes a freelancer the way that an uber driver is or an airbnb host is like you you can opt in to a project whatever that project is and you know there's going to be criteria for who gets selected and those sorts of things but talent's going to move all over the place yeah i mean i think the problem that we're, we're seeing already is that there's friction in the marketplace in the form of a lack of access to those opportunities for certain people mm-hmm. or to other opportunities, but also things like healthcare mm-hmm. or the lack thereof uh, makes you maybe not want to be a freelancer or move from gig to gig, right? And so that's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how all those competing forces play out against each other. Hey, so we don't end on a on a downer like that. I love this little article. It was from Fast Company. Mailchimp. We we use Mailchimp. When Mailchimp. We, when we were starting uh, Ideo Futures, Mailchimp, amazing. They have guess what their turnover rate is, meaning how often uh, people leave once they get uh, a job there. Oh, I'm assuming it's really good. It is good. So five percent, four percent. Wow, which is remarkably low for any organization. Yeah. Basically, meaning out of every hundred people that become an employee, four four percent will leave. Four will leave. That's, That's really good. It's really low, right? Yeah. Generally speaking, I think if you're below 10%, given everything that goes on in people's lives, they got to move, they might get a better job. Yeah, it's a great article. Basically, it talks about how your first week on the job at MailChimp, you don't have to actually like do the job they hired you for. They invest so much in training you and getting you exposed to other people at the place and learning how the company works and all that stuff. It just it was a really nice little article. That's but cool. what I loved about it is they branded like they assign you a person to show you around and introduce you to people. We used to do this at IDEA. When I joined, I got somebody uh, whose title was a cultural coach. I mean, it wasn't their full-time job, but they were my culture coach. But at MailChimp, they call this person your companion. <laughs> Isn't that great? I wish I had a companion. That's kind of my wish for this podcast. Ch- May you all have a companion. A companion. <laughs> Isn't that great? Do they get a little a little like button to to, to wear or something? Yeah, it's like Maybe the hand of the king. It's but, like the hand, yeah. but it's a chimp panion. I'm your companion. I just love that. What is it? so the companion like takes you to lunch? What what? Yeah, what do they do? say hey everybody. This is Joe. He just joined. Be nice to him. He's a debater. Just ignore it. And uh, he's a cool dude. And they'd be like, hey Joe, and they you'd be like, thanks, companion. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love them as a company. I think they do a lot of neat things from a marketing standpoint. Their product is awesome. And now mm-hmm. we know they're very thoughtful about designing their culture. So there you go. Onboarding is super important. Venture design that blows our minds. We don't often talk about the human element and the kind of HR systems, but what a great way to innovate. Culture is very important as I'm learning. Culture eats strategy for breakfast mm-hmm. and lunch and dinner too. 
Well, that that was uh, Pod 48. It's been really nice to be back in the saddle with you, as it were, Joe. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's fun. We should do this again. Yep. <laughs> well, with that kind of enthusiasm, <laughs> we'll definitely have you back soon. Well, it's your podcast, too, so you can come back whenever you want. Awesome. Thank you. It would be cool. Let's keep checking in on this whole ICO token thing. Here's an idea. Yeah. Why don't, we, uh, why don't you write a white paper and issue a Gerber token? And it allows people to like shadow you around work for a day or they can come on the podcast and you could put it up there and see, can people like bid? Could you use the token system to bid for that privilege to be your companion or your reverse companion? <laughs> There's a few flaws with that. I don't think you need tokens to do that, nor I think I'd probably have to pay people to follow me around. Okay. So you have to do a reverse token for people to be your reverse companion. Yes. But why not? I mean, you don't need a token to do most of the things you're talking about. But That's it's true. awesome. Come on. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to be doing a podcast either, but we are. Do we, though? Yeah. Well, let's not go there. But <laughs> I, I think you should think about it. I mean, what is our motto here? I do think... I think. Oh, we don't oh, know, we oh, don't I, know what the motto is you, anymore. You got me thinking well, about... You modified it, actually. I saw it yesterday. Huh? What? Huh? What? What day is it? It I was... was uh, I was going to actually... Don't get ready. Point. I was gonna, I get know, weird. Oh, I saw that wasn't that me. The, I know. I saw, I knew it wasn't you. That was our, our, our fellows. Our it was students. cool. Yeah. Don't get ready. Get weird. And I think like a, a Gerber token. Piper's nodding. She's like, you got to do this. All right. Well, well, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll let you think about it. We might do a to- token offering in the collab just to see what it happens. Just to play with it. Not well, here it not is. to raise a lot of money. The just Gerber to, like, token. All right. Well, we can yeah. set a limit in the white paper of like. 10 bucks or something. I was thinking 15 cents. But okay. if, if, you, if you want 10 bucks. Shouldn't we pick a prime number? Okay. 21. $17. Oh. Is 21 even prime? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of 21 million Bitcoin. It's not prime. Yeah. Yeah. 17 would be prime. I don't do maths. On that note of Joe doesn't do maths, mm-hmm. it might be your reverse companion if you're lucky, I would like to thank you for being with us for Pod 48. We hope you come back for Pod 49. Joe... It's that time. Don't get ready. Get started. Peace.